0: Well, it's good to be together today. I have enjoyed so much. Let's see. I, there we go. I thought it was dead. And uh, if it is, we've just resurrected it. And <laughs> as we uh, talk here about, uh, it's coming up here. Um, Kim Kim will get it for me. We're talking here about rediscovering and defending the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Today I want to talk to you about a firm foundation. A firm foundation is so imperative that we know how to... Defend the gospel. And um, it's just important for us that the foundation that we stand on in our lives, that we understand what it is. It's just any structure. Um, any structure, whether it be material or physical, or um, that it's absolutely essential that you have a firm foundation. And Jesus, he emphasized this, you know, when he illustrated how we build our lives. You remember that? In fact, I got that scripture for you here. I think it'd be a good one for us to read. let uh, see, so you might have to do them today, Kim. It's not seeming to work in here. There it goes. Um, Matthew chapter 7, you know this scripture very well, where Jesus said, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine puts them into practice, is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had a foundation, its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine does not Put Them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. So, Jesus emphasized that to us that Him, uh, His truth, believing on Him, is essential for having a firm foundation. Those who fail to believe and obey Him are like, again, those people who build their house on, a, on the sand. When the testing comes, And can we say it this way, when the judgment of God comes, when the wrath of God comes, those people's lives will collapse. But those who build their lives on Jesus's truth and obey him are building their lives on on such a solid foundation that no trouble and loved ones, even the wrath of God, can't topple them. And God is pleased about that. That's why Jesus came, was to spare us from the wrath of God. A firm foundation is essential. You know, i had been a Christian for probably about 11, maybe 12 years. And I was in my third and fourth, third or fourth year of pastoral ministry. I remember I was down in Texas at the time. When I entered this, I entered this uh, serious, scary, uh, personal, uh, spiritual battle that required a discipline that I lacked. It required a discipline that I lacked. Um, the discipline of apologetics. I lack this, and uh, apologetics is the defense or proof of Christianity using rational argument. I wasn't battling uh, for someone else. I was in a personal battle myself with the devil, with the evil one. I was being thrown some really tough questions in my mind that I never had concerned myself with before. I had been taught uh, the Christian faith since I was a little feller uh, by my dad primarily, which was right and is good that my, my dad taught me that, taught me the way the Lord thanks the Lord. That's our responsibility as parents. But now I was being challenged to fight to prove what I really believed about Jesus was true. And again, it was just some questions that had been thrown at me that I didn't have answers for. Um, and I, I kind of felt ashamed of myself in a way. I, how could I doubt the loving Savior who had rescued me so graciously, so kindly from my sins when I was 14 years old? How, how could I do that? But here I was, nonetheless, in the midst of this. And it was a terrifying battle for me. It was terrifying. And all the while it was the Holy Spirit of Jesus, who had veered me right in to this head-on collision with the enemy of my soul. <laughs> I didn't realize it was God It was actually pushing me this direction because I needed to grow. I needed to learn more deeply and understand more deeply about my faith, about what I believe, why I believe it. And the Lord, in a sense, pushed me out of my laziness, if you will, and says, time for you to grow up another level and he shoved me right in front of the devil and it wasn't pleasant. He knew of course he, he didn't just turn me loose to the wolves but he he was definitely in charge of veering me that direction. He knew I had to face this fight and learn to overcome it and it was crucial to my faith. And if I was ever to increase, if I was ever to increase from one to two or two to three according to Matthew 25, you know how you grow? You know if I was ever to increase in my ability to glorify God to, with my life, you know, I had to face this. I had to overcome this. If, I recall as I faced my many weaknesses that would inhibit my ability to serve God in the calling he had placed upon me in this pastoral ministry, he informed me that he would not retract my calling. I remember I asked him, I said, can I please get out of this? And he told me no, very clearly. And, uh, But he did tell me this. He said that I could either bury my ability in the ground and be miserable all my life. And you know what? I had seen some older ministers who had done just that. They hated the ministry. They were sick of it. I still see them today. In fact, you know, there's even some ministers that when they retire, they stop going to church. They hate the ministry that much. And the Lord said you can either be miserable the rest of your life or He said you can get to work. I've given you a certain amount of potential. I've given you this amount of potential. Now you can get to work. You can grow. Yes, you'll fail. But you can keep practicing and learning and learning and failing and becoming wiser, more skilled in my knowledge of Him, He said. Learning to overcome in Jesus. And I thought, I don't want to be miserable the rest of my life. (laughs) So in a sense, I can't get out of this calling, Lord. I'm just going to try to do what you say here. And I'm going to try to grow and stretch myself and try to look for one hill higher with a better view that I can climb to so that I can better glorify you with my life the best I can. Even in all my weaknesses, I'm going to try. And maybe I can increase from one to two and maybe even get up to three or four someday. (laughs) I didn't realize it then, but this was a key battle that I was facing back then in my spiritual walk with Jesus. Learning why we know the gospel of Jesus is true and all the other religions that claim to be true are just merely satanic substitutes offering a twisted version of good that is not only evil, but actually winds up deceiving people and leading them to eternal death. Let me tell you something. The, uh, The truth matters. Truth is necessary. It has to be held to, clung to, and defended. And that's what I've been in the process of learning to do over the last 40-some years. Well, not quite 30, I guess, because I didn't start that until really understanding the significance of this until was about 11 or 12 years into my walk with the Lord. I'd be neglecting my duty as your pastor, loved ones, uh, if I didn't tell you what the Lord has emphatically reminded me. <laughs> Francis Schaeffer, a man who has influenced my early Christian life there, a noted pastor, a theologian, he was a philosopher of the 20th century, uh, stated in his book Christian Manifesto in back in the 80's, early 80's, he said there are two reasons why our beloved country, he's talking about America, he, he wasn't American although he lived in Switzerland, um, he said there's two reasons why our beloved country is almost lost and this was speaking back in 1980's, he died in 1984 He said, because since the 1940s, the majority of Christians or Christian leaders, although they knew that this infinite God would be our final reality, they did very little about it as our culture and government began rejecting God. Back in the, you know, 60s particularly. Francis Schaeffer said this. He said, uh, said, there's two reasons for a silent church and a culture, there's two reasons for a silent church. In a culture, I think it was somewhere. Well, according to Christian leaders, they remain quiet. He said it's because they remain quiet, and I'll give up for you there. And they they thought that Jesus, they didn't need to make Jesus Lord. Of everything. I remember um, Christian leaders uh, back in those early days when I first became a Christian back in the 70s. I wondered about some things that uh, um, about this very issue about why we're so quiet about the legalization of national abortion. Now, we got loud about it, but at the very beginning of it, we were kind of quiet about it, the Christian church was. And uh, there was very little. You had a response from evangelical Christians back then. And there was very little response when Bible was removed from school and when prayer was removed from the school. Very little response from Christian leaders back then. I personally recall asking Christian leadership when I was, I think I was 15 or 16 years old, because I had these questions about uh, things that, that I didn't really get good answers for. And I'm not criticizing my, my elders. They, they were loving, wonderful people. I just didn't get the answers I, that I was hoping. I, I was told that, this is what I was told, basically, was this. I was told that Christians needed to know their place and stay in their place and stay out of public moral issues. That's what I was told. You need to know your place, stay in your place, and stay out of public moral issues. One lady even told me this, I still remember, I can still see her telling me this, she says that I was called to be a preacher, so stay out of the White House. That's what she told me. You were called to be a preacher, so stay out of the White House. Hmm. She left me scratching my head. I I thought, uh, something seemed wrong about that. I... uh, didn't John the Baptist preach that Herod was wrong for uh, stealing his brother's wife? You know, in Matthew chapter fourteen, verses one to twelve. Doesn't the Lordship of Christ have something to say to the culture, and not just stick in the church, not just stay in the church, but doesn't have something to say to the culture? You know, uh, wasn't eighty-year-old Timothy, pastor of the Ephesian church? since Paul had appointed him there you know over 30 years before wasn't he martyred because he saw a parade he saw this parade of these worshippers of the goddess Diana out, you know committing uh, terrible indecent acts out in the street and he began to preach the gospel to them and he was clubbed to death by the by the participants in the parade <laughs> again don't Misunderstand me, loved ones. I was I wasn't disrespectful to my elders, but they just didn't provide me the answers that were 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 quite about well they, they were quiet about the moral cultural issues of the day. I remember being confused about it, thinking, boy, shouldn't we hear some sermons on this or something? But we ne- I never did. And uh, now <laughs> That which was seemed like innocence or that was small in the 60s has exploded into a ball of infection throughout our society now in weird ways we never thought possible. Francis Safer, she, he said there again, there were two reasons. Uh, here for the silent response of the church during the critical years of America's shying away from God and of its founding and its birth. First of all, like I could have up here the unbiblical theology that teaches the Lordship of Jesus only touches religious things and not secular. That Christians have the spiritual part of their lives and also the secular part of their lives. When we read the Bible, we, we do a holy activity. When we do the laundry, when we mow the grass, we do a secular activity. There was that had that dichotomy, that split, that, you know, Christians stay in their place, and then there's a place for the government, a place for the for the for the public, you know, public morality. And there was that mentality there that seemed to be there. It's what Francis Schaeffer said he saw. And uh, you know, the Bible teaches that Jesus' lordship extends to the laundry as well and to mowing the grass as well. remember I tried to convince a secretary of mine years ago in the church that her job was holy. She said, no, it's not. I'm just a secretary. I said, no, 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 no. The scripture says that what you do is unto the Lord. It's holy. And she would never agree with me. She was just a secretary doing secular. I mean, she's doing church work, but she looked at it from a secular perspective. The Apostle Paul tells us, remember in the book of Colossians, he says, Work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. He said, Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward and that the master you are serving is Christ. You know, you don't think of it this way, do you? But that the Lord, He can be glorified with mowing the grass. He can be glorified with doing the laundry, cleaning the house, with changing the oil in the car, with doing these mundane tasks as we do them with an attitude of serving the Lord, that we want to do our best and we're doing it for the Lord. That's what Paul is telling us, that there is no holy and secular to the Christian, That everything is holy. And so there isn't this, the church and then their society. No, we need to show, we, we need to really realize that we need to be holy within society and speak up and be an influence of Christ to a wicked world. So Christians, they didn't see the Lordship of Jesus extending into the secular world uh, back in those early years of, well, I think according to Francis Schaeffer, back since the 40s. but. Um, Public, uh, in the public moral arena, when the momentum of Antichrist started in America, and some still don't see it even today. But true spirituality means that the Lord Jesus Christ is Lord of all life, so we need to stand for the things of life that lead, lead to God. He also said that the second reason was this: He said, The second reason this is, and this is a big one, the fear. The fear of the cost of being a follower of Jesus. Maybe that's that's a really big one. The fear of... of, uh, of uh, Well, you know, there is a cost to being a Christian, isn't there? Sometimes I've had some friends that didn't like me to talk about the cost. They said, no, salvation's free. Well, salvation's free, but discipleship costs you everything. It's, there is a cost to being a disciple. Yes, it's a... It's a serious consideration, too. I'm sorry to say it's not spoken of too much today anymore, it seems. Thomas Shepard, a guy back in the 1600s, he penned a poem in 1693. He penned the first verse, and then there's been other writers who come along and added more, four more verses to it over, the, over like a 160-year period. But it's a song you'll recognize. It's, it goes like this. Must Jesus bear the cross alone and all the world go free? No, there's a cross for everyone and there's a cross for me. The consecrated cross I'll bear till death shall set me free and then go home my cross, my crown to wear for there's a crown for me. O precious cross, O glorious crown, O resurrection day when Christ the Lord from heaven comes down and bears my soul away. It's a reminder of us as God's people that there is a price to be paid on our part, that there is a cost to being a Christian. Jesus had a way of saying the hard things in such a way that kind of stopped people in their tracks. Like in order to be his disciple, I'm amazed he wouldn't have won too many converts today. I don't know. He, I don't know. He wouldn't have been a... He, I don't know. He just the way he says things. Can you, can, you know, you think, couldn't you soften that up a little bit, Lord? But he just comes right out. Like in order to be his disciple, you have to be willing to deny yourself, take up your cross daily. And that means take up the opposition willing to take up the opposition from the world for standing for God and following Christ's example, Matthew chapter 16 as well as Luke 9. There's another time where he said this, listen to this, he said this, he said, if you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else, your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Now, of course, Jesus wasn't telling us that we're supposed to hate people, we know that. He's saying, the point He's trying to make us make is this, in order to be His disciple, you must love Him first and foremost. Boy, Becky and I had that settled when we started dating, when we got serious enough to be engaged, that we had that settled in our life, that I knew that she loved Jesus most and I could never take that place. And she knows she can't take the place of the Lord in my life either. Because being a disciple requires that I love him more than her, you know, and more than my children. Well, I remember talking to a mother one day. She said, Pastor, that's the verse I struggle with the most. I do not like that verse. I don't like it. And I said, well, there's a lot of things you may not like, but you got to... <laughs> If you want to be a disciple, you have to to realize that you have to obey Jesus more, I mean, with what he's he's telling us. You know, he's not telling us, of course, to hate our kids or hate our spouses, you know. He's just simply saying that more than anyone else, your spouse, your kids, your parents, you know, he has to be loved first. And matter of fact, when you love him first, he will not let you be unloving toward your family. (laughs) Jesus used a couple of illustrations. You remember he talked about how, you know, hey, uh, you need to really seriously consider this Christianity thing. It's like building a tower. Like building a tower. He said, if you're going to build a tower, don't you first of all do all the examination work and say, do I have enough materials? Do I have enough money to get the thing built? Or if you're going to go to war, don't you first of all think, how many soldiers does the enemy have? How many soldiers do we have? And if we don't have enough, then we better try to make a peace pact so that we don't get wiped out. Jesus said, you've got to count the cost. And he said, the same way with me. This is the cost to be my disciple. It's all or nothing. He just tells us straight out. It's loving me with all your heart. What, my will is supposed to be supreme in your life. Whether you, you know, you may not think it makes sense, you may not think that it's, it, that it's the best thing, but you are required to obey me and let me be your Lord. Jesus, he summarizes the cost of discipleship in Luke chapter 14, verse 33. I think I've got it here. So you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. Did you know that, that I've got a lot of stuff in my life, but actually it belongs to Jesus? That's that too belongs to Him. And everything I have belongs to Him. Yeah. Never want to love that more than Him. And if He wants me to give up something, it's it's His to give up. I can give it up because it belongs to Him anyway. I'm just a steward, aren't we? We're just stewards over His stuff. So in other words, to, to be a disciple of Jesus, you have to sign over to Him the complete deed of your life. All you are, lock, stock, and barrel. Your possessions, your money, your family, your body, your mind, your enemies, your offenders, everything. You sign over everybody, everything. Francis Shaver said that the two reasons America has turned from God is because of this un- unbiblical, separatist thinking, and not, not holiness, but a spiritual isolation mentality of staying separate. To the point where you 're not influencing you're not even a an influencer or a light to the world and um, and also the the second thing is this fear of losing jobs or fear of losing positions, fear of losing a reputation, fear of losing prestige, fear of losing friends, doctors having to really take a stand and say i'm against abortion or nurses saying i'm not going to allow that baby to starve to death and and you go ahead and feed the baby so then you get fired i mean there's prices to pay for being a disciple. The ones I need to remember at times that I may I may very well be a martyr for the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, here in America? Yeah. And you might be too. We never thought this day would come but just look how things are going. You know, who would ever think that the rule of law would not be honored in our country? You know, there is no rule of law. Anymore. Well, it just depends on who you are. You know? If you got enough money, enough prestige, you, you kind of... And, of course, if you're on the right side politically, then you kind of just skip all of the... You don't have to follow the rules. But I may be in a place where I either, you know, I either stand up for Jesus or sit in silence with all the onlookers. You know, I stood in the crowd one time and was part of the onlookers who mocked Jesus and so were you you say what do you mean pastor yeah well you you were on that day when they nailed the author of life to the cross don't you remember we we sang a song about it today it's in that second verse of behold the man upon the cross my sin upon his shoulders ashamed I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers it was my sin that held him there. Until it was accomplished, his dying breath that brought me life. Brought me life. I, now, I know that it is finished. So I don't want to, again, stand among the mockers. I say, oh God, give me grace to be able to be courageous enough to stand up when it's time to stand up for Jesus. God help me to carry my cross. And uh, if that opportunity comes to stand up with Jesus this time, And not with the mockers like I did last time. A question that comes to all of us, loved ones, as we, again, consider the importance of defending the cross, defending the resurrection. A question that comes to all of us is, um, what loyalty to Christ, or, or I should say, what is loyalty to Christ worth to you? What is it worth to you? How much do you believe that this is really all true? That this cross stuff and this empty tomb stuff is really all true? Why are you a Christian? Are you a Christian because you know He really is Lord? He really is Lord. You really know it. I tell you like I had to wrestle with it for a while figuring out wrestling in prayer wrestling in study and in reading and and satisfying the questions of my soul are you really convinced he is Lord Jesus asked Peter three times if he loved him (laughs) Uh, what does your love look like for Jesus what does mine look like well let me put it this way this will be our closing thought Christ Christ must be my final Lord this one who died and rose again Christ must be Lord and not society and not the government. Or you could put it another way, not Caesar. (laughs) That was what the early Christians were faced with. Christ is Lord, not society, and not Caesar. So loved ones, I, you know, again, if the Lord is dealing with you and and just um, being courageous, again, um, these two reasons for why society uh, doesn't see the light of Christ is because of this, I mean, this dichotomy of the holy and the secular and Christians staying out of the secular, so, so to speak. Um, we just want to, no matter where we're at, the kindness of Christ is to be exhibited. The love of Jesus is to be exhibited. If someone needs some help, you know, at the coffee shop, kindness is supposed to be exhibited there and and the the love of Jesus, the wisdom of Jesus no matter where you're at you know, this, the gas station, the at school at, at, you know, wherever you're at, there's no holy and secular, it's every place is holy as far as you're concerned that I'm going there to be a light and then if people if something happens where someone has to stand with Christ or stand with the mockers, we have to decide if we're going to be courageous enough and we're going to step on the side of Jesus. And if we have a firm foundation where we really know what we believe, we really know it, we know that He died and He rose again. We know that and we've, we believe it in our hearts and we've been, and the witness of the Spirit has conveyed to us that truth, you know, we, the Lord, the Holy Spirit will give us the courage Stand, and we will realize that what are we really losing? We're just losing this world, and the cost of being a disciple is Christ first and only. Amen. Amen. Lord, as we leave today, I know it's been Lord more of a serious, uh, somber thinking today. That it that all of us need to be reminded occasionally about Your Lordship in our life. Oh, Lord, we're never old enough where we get a privilege of being rude to people, being unkind to someone. What, what causes us to think that way? And We've lived long enough where we have a right to do something that's against Christ, that's against your spirit. So, Father, we need to be reminded sometimes. We need to be reminded that is Jesus Lord in my life? Oh, we need to... We need to repent sometimes. There's repentance needs to be a practice of ours, Father, where You show us that we're we've, we're kind of out of step, Lord, and we need to get back into step. Father, we pray today that uh, that we will that we will see ourselves as holy, but not isolationist to the point where we're not walking among the unrighteous and we're not we're not uh, um, uh, acting holy, Father, and speaking out for what's right, for what's true in a culture, in a government that is against God. Give us courage, we pray, Father. Help us uh, get these things settled in our heart if we haven't got them settled already. Help me, Father, if that opportunity comes to stand with you and not on the side of the mockers. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, oh, the Lord bless you. Thank you for your kind attention. Let's stand together and and uh, go over and wish Bill another happy birthday. <laughs>